Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Teenagers are seen as pretty kind of universally addicted and obsessed with social media, but. I think we are seeing this shift and backlash and people realizing that it actually can be more detrimental than positive. Well, we've all been pushed around. Hello and welcome to It's Complicated with Tanya Goodin, the podcast that helps you untangle your relationship with your phone. Because we've all been This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and about understanding why sometimes that's so hard to do. Because in learning how to step away from our phones more, we're actually learning how to focus more on our relationships, our work and our health, leaving us happier, healthier and with hours more time in our day. I'm your host, Tanya Goodin, author and founder of digital wellbeing movement, Time to Log Off. Each week, I'll be asking a new guest what they've learned about themselves from the relationship they have with the tiny tyrant in their pocket, their smartphone. It's quite a special episode today. It's actually the 50th episode of It's Complicated. I can't believe we're at episode 50 after two years. And it's also on the day this episode comes out, International Women's Day, 8th of March 2021. So for both those reasons, I wanted to find not only a woman, but somebody really inspiring for this episode. And I found her in Amica George, who is a British activist and campaigner, the founder of the Free Periods Charity, the author of Make It Happen, How to Be an Activist, and still a student at university, at Cambridge University. So I had a really wonderful chat with Amica about how she went from being a 17-year-old in her bedroom while still at school, deciding that she wanted to campaign for free period products for schoolgirls in the UK, how she set up a charity to do that, how she used the power of social media to make things happen and to put so much pressure on the government that in fact, as of the beginning of 2020, period products are indeed provided free in schools, thanks entirely to her activism. So we started by chatting a little bit about what her experience of being a student in the pandemic has been like. You know, she's a member of Generation Z, the generation that are supposed to be particularly addicted to screens and social media. So how has she found suddenly being thrust on screens, more or less 24 seven, being taken away from university? What's that experience been like? And then the majority of our chat was really getting her to tell me how you set up a charity that makes real world change. She was so eloquent and inspiring. It's another of those episodes where I sat back and thought, I really haven't achieved anything with my life. Listening to somebody who is still at university who has achieved so much. She was very reflective about the huge strengths of the digital world and social media and how it's really worked for her, but also the negatives that she struggles with just as much as the rest of us, the comparison culture, the pressure to be always using social media. 
and the various kind of strategies and tactics she's put in place to try and make sure she doesn't fall too much down into the kind of dark black hole of the internet and continues to use it for the power of good. Really loved talking to Amica. As I said, she's incredibly eloquent. She's really very inspiring. I think she is the perfect guest for us to be talking to on International Women's Day. And I hope you enjoy listening to her just as much as I did. Amica, hi. It's lovely to have you on. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I, gosh, all last year I was recording this podcast saying this is the last time I'm going to be doing a recording in lockdown. And <laughs> we're recording this in January I know, 2021 and we're still in lockdown. We're back in lockdown again. I know, um, I think it's going to really hit everyone if it gets... Hopefully it doesn't, but if it gets to the one-year mark of the 2020 lockdown, I think that's going to be quite upsetting. I really yeah. think it might, the way we're going. I was going to ask you how you've found it, because you are actually a student. <laughs> so yeah. you're one of the people that we've all been talking about, you know, kind of how are students coping, the fact that you've had to put all your, you know, all the teaching, lectures, seminars, tutorials, everything online exams yeah. online what's it been like for you yeah it's been I'd say it's been tricky it's definitely been a big adjustment I've just started my well not really just started but in my third year of university so my final year I'm studying history at Cambridge and yeah so the first lockdown happened when I was in the middle of my second year which fortunately because I was kind of in the middle of my degree my learning wasn't as disrupted as it was for other people kind of who are maybe in their final year or doing exams or that kind of thing. But it was definitely strange coming home for Easter, expecting to go back and then not going back until early October. And since October, starting my third year, it's been really weird because seminars, lectures, everything pretty much was online. And I'm really lucky, I think, that I live in a house with three of my best friends, but a lot of people did find last term very isolating just because you're kind of sat in your room staring at a screen all day and I don't think zoom lectures or seminars are really kind of the same as an in-person an in-person lesson I have a lot of sympathy I think for freshers and first years especially at university my brother actually has just started his first year and described it as really odd having to yeah you're kind of only really exposed to one bubble of people who he was fortunate he got on really well with but you just don't have the same university experience that you expect to socially and then also academically it's yeah just a lot a lot of Microsoft Teams and kind of the kind of weird awkward interactions of people accidentally interrupting each other or kind of having to share your screen rather than all just kind of looking at the same book or whatever and then obviously you have the interruptions if people have to isolate and then yeah it, it's it was definitely strange and exams we've we found out recently are also going to be online which is so you'll yeah, do your finals well. online exactly yeah I'm oh, doing my finals gosh. in May and June which it does feel kind of like uncharted territory because it's never obviously been done before and the kind of format of the exams I, I think this is pretty universal for most universities of giving students a much longer time period so I think I have about six hours for an exam that would and it's open three. book I assume is it's it? open book it's all yeah. online but I think that obviously raises the standard because if everyone has access to their notes it's it's different and also it kind of changes the way you study because you now I'm now kind of making notes and taking notes from lectures thinking I could actually use this in my final exams rather than having to memorize so in that respect it is a good thing but it's definitely yeah it's definitely strange it's definitely different and I don't know if there'll be much kind of consideration in terms of from the university stance how much they'll take account of in terms of people's kind of mental health because I think just a lot of people have really struggled with how disruptive it's all been over the last few months and also in terms of obviously people younger than me doing their A-levels and GCSEs it's really difficult to kind of measure that that impact and just how different their education will have been by the end of it. It's really interesting because often people talk about the fact that your generation you spend your I'm using my fingers in awful quote marks you spend your life on screen anyway 
But actually, this I think this has been a really interesting experience, seeing all of you having to spend your life on screen in a way that you weren't actually really doing before, even though the kind of narrative was, oh, you know, all you do is look at a screen. Has it made you appreciate kind of in-person interactions more or, or have more of a problem with screen? You know, has it affected your yeah. relationship with tech generally, do you think? Yeah, it's definitely changed it, I think. It's true that there was definitely a narrative, which I don't think is true, of teenagers being addicted to their phones all the time. And, and that's, that was always portrayed, I think, in a very sort of blaming way of kind of generation snowflake. And I think my generation has been painted as quite narcissistic and self-obsessed because we're always taking selfies and that kind of thing. And I don't agree with that in the first place because I think actually we've proven that social media can be a quite a powerful force for change. And I think that my activism um, has definitely benefited from social media, sorry. But I do think over lockdown, it's, yeah, our relationship with tech has undoubtedly changed because I think when you're entirely reliant on it for any sort of sociability or human contact, it really changes the nature of your relationships. I know that I definitely, I have a really close group of friends who I would have normally seen at university every single day and we went for months with just kind of speaking over FaceTime and obviously people are in much worse situations and I'm lucky that I at least have access to those kind of means of communication but I think it does definitely change your relationships but then it also I think has a undeniable an undeniable effect on your mental health just having to have that time that you you filled by just scrolling through your Instagram feed and seeing people who whose lockdowns maybe looked a lot better or more fun or, you know, they managed to kind of escape to their country home or something. Or And I think, I think I've always kind of liked to consider myself sort of immune to comparison and thought that, oh, it's okay, I, I can distance myself from what I see on social media. But I did realise over lockdown particularly that you just have so much more time that you then spend on social media and you can't really escape that feeling of comparison that really brings out insecurities. And and I also don't think this is at all exclusive to the teenage experience at all. I think it's kind of a universal human trait that we all compare ourselves, obviously, and that doesn't help. But I do think having that distance from social media, which I've definitely tried kind of going for a certain amount of time without my phone or deleting the Instagram app from my phone, I've definitely noticed a difference in just how I feel about myself and how I, yeah, and just my mental health in general. It's definitely not just a your generation thing. I, as you were talking, I was thinking that over Christmas, I kept looking on Instagram of all the people who'd managed to escape to the Caribbean, <laughs> which there were quite a few, weren't there? And all the influencers yeah. that went to Dubai. And, uh, and I, you know, I had to stop looking at it because I was thinking, gosh, you know, here we are in lockdown in the UK. It's cold, it's wet, and there are all these people on the beach. So, and it seemed even worse than it usually did. So let's talk a little bit about your activism because that was actually, you know, the main reason why I wanted to talk to you because I've, I've known about you for a few years. You have just written a book, which when this podcast comes out will have been published I think it's being published on January the 21st is that right right. make it happen how to be an activist so am I right in saying that you started your activism from your bedroom at school yeah so I started it in 20 the beginning of 2017 so I was 17 and yeah that's when it all started I started tell me yeah tell me what what it was all about why you started it sure so I start I think I yeah, kind of lived a very normal life being a teenager at school. Um, I was in my first year doing my A-levels and I read an article about girls having to miss school for sometimes one week every single month because they couldn't afford menstrual products. And I'm really lucky that I've kind of never had to be faced with that reality before. I've always, I think, taken for granted the fact that I have access to menstrual products when I need them. And I think it really hammered home a lot of things that people were talking about at the time about rising child poverty and the fact that this was obviously proof that girls were, the girls were too poor to even go to school and if they weren't missing school they were forcing themselves to go and use awful alternatives, things like toilet paper or newspaper. 
And this and was in the UK. This, this was in the UK, and yeah. the fact the reason that um, it actually made headlines in March of 2017 was because a charity called Freedom for Girls was providing the products to schoolgirls who needed them in Kenya, and they were then contacted by schools in Leeds who had noticed kind of patterns of the same the same students missing school every month and. They had to then redirect their products from Kenya to Leeds. And I think that contrast just shocked a lot of people and made people realise that actually this is something that's happening right on our doorsteps. And it's really outrageous. And I was really upset by the news and quite angered that I found it felt like a lot of politicians and people in government were kind of condemning it in Parliament or yeah, the media were obviously talking about it. But nobody with political power was talking about a sustainable solution there were obviously a lot of amazing charities who were providing the products in their local areas but i didn't think that was enough and i i kind of expected that the government would step in and do something to change it and when that response didn't come i started free periods to try and lobby the government to provide free menstrual products in all schools and colleges in england and it was yeah, a long and very difficult fight. It involved yeah, a lot of trying to raise awareness and get people talking about period poverty, which is obviously not an easy feat because periods are so heavily tabooed in society. But as well as that, we had a big protest in London at the end of 2017, which was attended by over 2,000 teenagers all wearing red and shouting about their periods, which was really fun. But even after that, the government didn't really take notice of it and pledged some money to to one charity who, and that money was actually from the tampon tax fund, which is a whole other story, another campaign, but that money kind of came from the tax that we pay on tampons. We used to pay on tampons. Because yeah, we don't now, do we? We don't That's anymore. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that money, exactly. So they were taxed as a luxury before. So it felt like that wasn't really a sustainable solution because it was, I think, £1.5 million to one charity for a year so it wasn't really um, not gonna last very long not at yeah. all so then we then over 2018 i was doing my a levels and applying to university as well and trying to kind of make the campaign a bit more global in focus and talk about period poverty happening in different countries which it definitely is and i was really lucky to be able to travel and speak with that in different ways and on different platforms and but that also felt quite ironic because, for example, I went to New York and I was really lucky to receive an award there. And I managed to speak to a lot of people and campaigners who are working towards similar goals in their countries. But that felt really ironic that the gov- British government hadn't actually done anything themselves. So in 2019, Three Periods became a company and with a board of directors. And we started working with a legal team in London to explore how we could potentially launch a legal challenge against the government to say that they have a legal obligation to provide the products for free in schools. And that was going really well and we were preparing for it. But fortunately, before we launched the case, the government actually made the pledge in April of 2019 to provide the products for free in schools. And that started at the beginning of 2020. So it's been in operation for about a year now. And it's, I think it's made a huge difference. I think it's overall kind of the principle that the government is providing the products for free and giving the schools the opportunity to order in pads and tampons in the same way that they order in toilet paper or soap. And so you're, they're kind of saying that it's a basic, it's essential, basic essential. product. Yeah, exactly. The one problem I'd say, though, is that it's an opt-in scheme. So the schools themselves have, have the onus to kind of sign up for the products and order in the, num- the amount that they need. Because of that, there's a kind of, a sort of lack of awareness, I'd say. A lot of schools, I'd say, are just not aware of the fact that they have this budget allocated for pads and tampons and period products for their students. So at Free Periods, we've been trying really hard to raise awareness of the scheme and also encourage young students and activists to really lobby their teachers and tell them that they want these products ordered and obviously this is further complicated by lockdown and the pandemic but actually schools are still able to order in the products that they need and students can pick them up from school so again that's brilliant so they can still get them even though they're not at school that's exactly but again i think there is kind of lack of awareness and the government aren't really prioritizing publicity of period products right now so we're trying to make sure that everyone's aware and getting the products that they're entitled to 
So what were your tactics? I don't want to give away too much because obviously we want everyone to buy the book. But, you know, when you when you sat there in your bedroom, you know, was the first thing, right, I'm going to set up an Instagram account. I'm going to have a website. I'm going to get a hashtag trending. I mean, what did you first do to think, how can I, a 17 year old sitting in my bedroom, raise awareness of this and actually make something happen? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it was more of a process than maybe it seems looking back. I think on the very first day I started it, it was just a petition on change.org because I thought that I just, I'd signed a lot of petitions before in the past and I knew that they were compelling and kind of really showed how many people were behind one call for change. So the petition came first and it started to gain momentum and then a lot of people were signing it, but then contacting me and saying, that they wanted to do more, they wanted to share it around their networks and they wanted to post it on their Instagrams. So I realized it was becoming bigger than just the petition basically. Um, and also as we started to organize for the protest, obviously social media was indispensable in that process because all of the raising awareness and organization for the protest was done via social media. Absolutely everyone who came other than my kind of closest friends and family had come just because they'd seen a tweet or an Instagram post or something like that. So the petition came first, then the social media accounts. And then it's kind of always been mainly focused on Twitter and Instagram, I would say, um, in terms of the protest, because I think that was really proof of how far it was going in terms of social media reach. We kind of got in touch with, so I was working with the Pink Protest, who are a feminist activist group. And we kind of realized that we need we wanted artwork and graphics to be a big part yeah. of it so we so got people could share it exactly yeah. so we were contacted and we contacted a series of amazing illustrators and artists who provided really incredible imagery that was shared around everywhere and it it kind of produced this incredible effect of the same posters and graphics that we had had we had the details of where the protest was and what it was about who was speaking who was coming it was all on this one thing that was then just being shared everywhere. And it was just a, such a surreal feeling to kind of go on my Instagram and just see everyone I follow post it. And, and then it kind of moved on past my circles to people I didn't know and their friends. And then in the end, people, I think a group came from Northern Ireland and a group came from Cornwall for the protest. And it was just really just surreal on the day to see that social media had had that impact. And even now I'm still continue continually contacted by people from around the world who are interested in free periods and expanding its reach and starting their own campaigns elsewhere and I think yeah I think as a 17 year old girl at school I could really have not have done any of that without the power of social media. Yeah and I, I found out about period poverty because of you. I also had never heard of it and I remember becoming aware of your campaign I think it was about two years ago so yeah, it spread everywhere to all age groups yeah. <laughs> and, you know, to kind of all parts of the country. And it, it, I mean, it must feel amazing to you to have achieved that, doesn't it? It must feel really yeah. good to think you've made that, make that happen. It does. I think it's, yeah, it's when I get those messages of people who have said that period poverty was something that I've really struggled with um, until these products are now available. I think that's when it really yeah it hit home for me that this is having an impact but I think I yeah in a lot of ways I'm kind of I think I'm the kind of person that's always as soon as we achieved our goal we're kind of thinking about what to do next and how to go global and work with other activists and other campaigners and so I think in, in some respects I've never I haven't really processed just how big a change it's made. So, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, thinking about how positive, because I agree with you, how incredibly positive social media is for raising awareness and then think about the negative side, which we were just both talking about, the whole, you know, comparison culture thing. How do you balance it? Because I noticed you mentioned earlier that you've had moments of uninstalling Instagram and, you know, spending less time on social media. How do you get that line between you know getting the best out of it and not getting sucked into the dark side of it yeah I think if I had the answer that, to that question my life would probably be a lot a lot easier I don't think it's something that I've achieved I'd say I don't think I've kind of got that balance yet I think I've definitely worked out little things that will kind of make me feel better or worse and 
yeah sometimes having Instagram I know isn't that good for me and so I will un uninstall it or sometimes I'll come across like an account that I followed when I first got Instagram which was a few years ago and now it doesn't make me feel that great anymore so I'll, I'll unfollow it but I do think it's definitely a balance I think I personally don't think that I could just delete everything I definitely have friends who are part of this I don't, I don't know if I call it a trend but it's definitely kind of a growing yeah kind of awareness that maybe life would just be better with no social media and I know friends who have deleted their accounts entirely but I don't think especially because yeah. yeah I think it I, I do think it is really interesting because I think it's especially from the sort of parent or adult perspective teenagers are seen as really kind of universally addicted and obsessed with social media but I think we are kind of seeing this shift and backlash and people realizing that it's actually kind of can be more detrimental than positive but I, don't, I wouldn't say that I kind of sit in that camp just because of how positive it's been for my activism and also because of the people that I've met and been able to collaborate and work with over the last few years I'm, I know that my social media feeds are just always full of examples of people using it for really positive campaigns and galvanizing people and raising awareness and actually making change tangible change through petitions or social media or kind of celebrities using social media like Marcus Rashford quite recently again I don't think without that accessibility that's afforded to people like Marcus Rashford but also people like me and everyday normal people who have an idea or feel really enraged by an issue the fact that we can just go to our phones and talk about it and ask people to, if they agree and if they do agree to take this action and write to their MP or tweet their MP or even I mean obviously it's different in lockdown but before the pandemic come to a protest or organize in real life or volunteer as a charity I think that's something that social media uniquely has given us I think that's that's the positive my business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you keep a line between Amica George, the, you know, person and free periods? Have you got personal social accounts and then the free periods account? Or have you always kind of used just the one? 
Yeah, so I had, so I've always had my own personal account, which I had from the age of 14 or something. And then I made a separate free period Instagram account. And I didn't have a personal Twitter because I just, I never really got into Twitter. Yeah. So I made a free periods Twitter when I first started the campaign. And it's interesting because I've definitely noticed a difference in audience and also just kind of the the vibe of a conversation on Instagram versus Twitter I think is yeah they're very different, different aren't they? yeah <laughs> yes. definitely and I think I, I get a lot more yeah negativity and backlash generally on Twitter anyway so I've, I've never really seen the appeal and I've, I'm not a huge user of it but then I think as the campaign grew I realized that my kind of personal identity was becoming very synony- synonymous with free period so I wanted to have a bit of separation so I so yeah so in terms of Twitter I actually didn't I've never made a personal account but I made a separate private personal Instagram which just my friends and family follow and then my account that was it's kind of complicated because my account my old account was private and then I decided to make it public I think it was probably about a year ago now which was really strange because I'd got these I was private for a long time and people would see something about free periods and want to follow my account so request it and then when I made it public I just had this kind of kind of terrifying moment of like all these followers from three years of being private flooding in Um, so that was quite intimidating but I've kind of now I do have this public Instagram account which I find really useful because I think it's where I can talk about the things that interest me outside of periods activism and as I mentioned free periods isn't just me it's a team of amazing people who yeah who I work with all the time and I think they're incredible and I kind of we work collaboratively now on what free periods stands for and what it does in terms of social media and activism so my own kind of interests obviously lie outside of that sometimes so I post about that on my personal accounts and obviously with the book as well that's all just kind of just me it's obviously drawing from my experiences with activism and free periods but it's also a lot of other things too it's really interesting because I hear this a lot from people of your age, this kind of nuanced approach to social media of having different accounts for different purposes. I think that is a, quite a big change, actually, because I think people who were on, you know, social media sort of 10 years ago just thought, well, I'll have one account and it will do everything. But I think an easier way of getting a balance is to do what you I mean, you've got three then, haven't you? Because you've got three periods, which I know appreciate it's not just you, your public amica george and then you've got a private amica george as well that's kind of Um, three different faces it is yeah it does feel like that sometimes i think yeah i think that's something that i've also kind of i've started free periods and because it kind of grew really quickly and almost kind of unexpectedly even though i did try and really get it out there i don't think also because i was quite young i really thought about just what it meant to have a kind of public face and identity and people were able to just kind of scroll down to a picture I posted you know with my with my mum when I was like 15 and could comment asking for an interview or something like that and I I always kind of just didn't take it that seriously when I was younger but as I got older I'd say when I turned probably when I turned about 20 I realized just how (laughs) intrusive that was and that that probably wasn't healthy because I definitely do struggle with having just that separation in terms of free periods and activism versus just everything else in my normal life and my degree. So I think having, yeah, going on my phone and then seeing people asking things like that sometimes felt a little bit too much. So I think the private Instagram account really helped me to separate that. So what's next for you? You'll graduate this summer. What are you going to do? Do you know yet? Are you staying in academia? Are you moving into activism? Are you doing something completely different? So I thought about continuing with with academia and doing a master's, but I think I think I need a break first. I think I'm going to have a year at least to just kind of focus, yeah, focus more on my activism, take a bit of a break. The book, so the book is coming, well, has is out now when this yeah. comes out, and when this um, is out, your book will be out. Yeah, yeah, and so it will be cool to be able to just focus on that because I think I've always had to balance senior and being at school university with activism and so it would be great I think in the coming year to really focus on that more and talk about the book and potentially do something in real life in terms of book publicity when when if that ever becomes possible and so yeah I think I don't 
have any kind of concrete plans right now because I'm wary of making any. But um, my dream this summer would obviously be able to, to be able to travel and yeah, just kind of chill out a bit after I graduate, hopefully. Are free periods where your heart lies or are there other causes that you want to get involved with? Or do you think you've not really done enough yet with free periods? Is that, you know, more that you want to do? I mean, in terms of where we're at right now with the campaign, so we're still continuing to really scrutinise the government scheme and make sure that as many schools are signed up as possible. And as I mentioned before, I've always been really passionate about period poverty and on a global on a global scale as well and talking about the fact that it exists in different countries and in a lot of countries there just really isn't the same level of awareness and activism that there is in the UK because my campaign is obviously focused on education and schools but there are a range of activists and campaigners and charities and organisations who are working on period poverty which are suffered by homeless women, by asylum seekers, refugees, um, women in prisons, women everywhere and I think that's something that we're I'm really fortunate that I feel like I am part of a larger community of people who care about this but it's not the same in other countries and even countries kind of in Europe or elsewhere where you kind of wouldn't expect it to be such a prolific issue it definitely is so I've always tried to yeah work with other activists who are around the world and doing similar things um, and encourage them and see if they can learn from free periods experience or if we can collaborate in some way but I don't want to kind of yeah I've always been wary of kind of imposing our own strategies and ways of working but yeah but I'm definitely passionate about other things too and as I said because free periods has become yeah a lot bigger than just me now as a team I, I feel like I have my own passions and interests I'm really yeah really excited to hopefully pursue when I get a bit more time after my exams and when you're allowed out in the world again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've got three questions that I end the podcast with. So I'm going to ask you three words. Give me three words to sum up your relationship with tech and the digital world sure so I think my first one which we've talked about quite a bit is conflicting because I as I mentioned I do have this kind of struggle between the good and the bad of social media as I think everyone probably does just in terms of how beneficial it's been to my activism and, and everything that I've engaged with over the past few years but also it can be damaging obviously for my mental health and everything else that goes with that but also in terms of the backlash and the trolling and the kind of ugly side of activism that I do think everyone who's ever kind of had to put their their thoughts and ideas out there has had to deal with, which is... Particularly if they're a woman. Yeah, Definitely, definitely <laughs> if you're a feminist yeah. campaigner talking yeah. about periods. So I think conflicting is the kind of the best word I could think of for that because it's, it is just a conflict and I don't know if there's really a solution to it other than obviously taking the necessary steps to mute and ignore and try to not take things personally it can get worse and it can get a lot more damaging in which case I, I kind of talk about this in my book that if it does reach that level of becoming serious very serious or damaging then campaigning can your campaigning can definitely be compromised okay so my second word is informative because I think I I don't know if I even have really fully registered this until I thought about this word but I don't really have any source of news or information outside of social media which was obviously different years ago especially over lockdown I realized that there was often this kind of parallel world between what I was what I was like walking into the kitchen and seeing my parents watch on the news and then going on my phone on Instagram and I'm thinking particularly here about the Black Lives Matter protests in summer last year where I did notice that the, the kind of narrative around what happened and how people felt and how they were engaging and responding to the atrocities of black people being murdered in America I found that really I don't know kind of felt like a wake-up call in terms of what social media can often provide in terms of really giving you that grassroots information opinions yeah, of and what's so really going on sources. yeah yeah it's interesting exactly. you talk about your parents seeing your parents watching on 
TV because I've actually just written a piece yesterday about how the age difference, it starts at 45. So above 45, TV is where you get your news. And below that, it's social media. I was looking at quite a bit of research around that. But yeah, and that is really interesting because you, as you say, you do get a completely different perspective from those two sources. Exactly. And even more recently with the um, attack on the capital, I realised that even like the language and the, yeah, the, the way that it was being described by people that I followed on Instagram versus newsreaders on TV was really different. And I think in a lot of ways that can kind of empower you to make decisions about what you think about things when you are presented with multiple opinions or multiple sources of information. Um, but then it's also quite, I don't know, it feels, it feels a bit, I don't know, kind of in, scary to, to think that if you didn't follow certain people or if you didn't have access to social media, you're kind of only being fed from one source. So yeah, I find that quite interesting. But yeah, and I think even today when we've had a lot of, we've seen a lot of outrage about the free school meal packages that were delivered. Yeah, to just the, listening to that on the radio before we spoke. Exactly. Yes. So to <laughs> see the fact that the people who are affected by it, posting photos of it and um, tweets going viral, we would have never known if we didn't have social media. That's, people do you know that's so interesting because exactly, that's exactly what I thought when I was listening to it. I thought, yeah. what would have happened if we'd had lockdown without social media? No one would have been able to get the picture out and say, look, this is what a meal looks like. Yeah. Um, that had such a powerful impact. Exactly. And I think, I mean, this could be a whole nother podcast episode to go through all of the U-turns that the government, the government made over the last year. But I think so much of what the, the government's been really held to account in terms of how they've handled the pandemic and the national situation. And a lot of that, again, has been because of social media, social media yeah, from really people raising their voices and saying this actually isn't good enough. And so, yeah, I think I think it's been empowering in that sense when you have no other choice but to stay at home it's really given people a voice and yeah I think my third word would be pressure because I don't, and again I think this is very much a universal thing that it does it does come with a lot of pressure on on people regardless of how many followers you have I think I don't know I think I identify Instagram more closely with this one but just in terms of kind of images and visually having to present yourself a certain way and something that I found interesting in my activism is just the frequency of posting because I've never been someone to post a huge amount but I do often if I haven't posted in a few days or I haven't been active or engaged with my followers I feel really guilty and I think in a lot of ways I probably should be using Instagram more than I do but I also think it is a very strange culture we live in right now when people do feel like you always have to have opinions and you always have to say the right thing and like if something happens on the news you have to be able you have to show that you care about it and I think that can that can come with a lot of pressure especially as someone who has yeah people who do quite a lot of people who follow me and look to my opinion on things I think as someone like balancing my degree and everything else that comes with being a young person living through a pandemic it can be quite a lot sometimes yeah yeah I was thinking the other day, there are some people I follow who are posting constantly. I mean, their mm. story is updated every 25 minutes throughout the day. And I just think the pressure associated with that must be phenomenal. I can't imagine what that must be like to do that all day, every day. Yeah, and um, I, I do think it's it's definitely it depends on what you're like as a person, because I think some people really thrive off that. and really Yeah, love it. Yeah, Love it. And don't find it draining and they're also having an amazing impact and that they are really reaching people and making a change and encouraging people to read certain information or sign up to petitions and I think if you're the kind of person that can do that that's obviously you should be but I don't think we should normalize the culture of everyone having to post about no. everything yeah. they do or everything they care all the about. time because <laughs> it also can feel fatiguing kind of an overload of information sometimes so I love that. I love those three words, conflicting, informative and pressure. Brilliant. Second question, what do you wish that this is quite tricky for you, I think, given your age, because yeah. I was going to say, what do you wish you'd known about the digital world before you started using it? But, you know, you were very young when you started using it. So I don't know. Was there something that you wish you'd known a bit more about? Definitely. I think the one thing that came to mind when I was thinking about this is I think a lot of people talk about and there is a kind of narrative around 
being really aware especially as someone young um that you should be really careful about what you say and there's just the kind of the internet lasts forever and you should make sure that everything you post you're ha completely happy with it and I think that's obviously definitely true but I do think especially as someone when I had when I was much younger I'd say I agonized so much and I cared so much about what I what I said and writing captions and I think I kind of wish I told I could tell myself that it it matters but it doesn't matter that much um and I think I think it's yeah having again it's about balance realizing that you obviously obviously shouldn't say anything inappropriate because things do last forever but also that in the grand scheme of things nobody's going to think differently of you if you have if you use one word over the other or you know if you post something and then decide to delete it later I don't think it's a big deal and again I do think it just comes back to the way that we feel about social media right now and that it, it really it can make you compare yourself to people all the time and start to equate your self-worth with likes or comments that you get on on a post and I don't definitely don't have the solution to that or advice to tell people how to switch that switch those insecurities off but yeah I think sometimes I especially when I was younger just cared way too much about it and so I wish I could tell myself that nobody really cares as much as you do it's that whole pressure thing isn't it? Yeah. I remember being very self-conscious about dancing when I was really young and being told actually no one's looking at you as much as they're worrying about themselves. And, you know, yeah. social media, sometimes we could help ourselves by thinking that a bit about our social media as well, couldn't we? Yeah, that people definitely. are so fixated about their own posts and their own stories and that actually they're probably not paying quite as much attention to yeah. us as we think. So last question, what do you think you've learned about yourself from your relationship with your phone the digital world technology over the years so i don't think i i don't think this is really new i don't know if i've learned this about myself because i've always been this way but i've realized that i'm just incredibly nosy as a person um, that i just i think social media obviously does feed this and i think does it count as social media yeah i suppose youtube i was going to say yeah um, definitely yeah. definitely has helped to spur that on in that especially i'm thinking about youtubers and especially when i was younger being really into watching vloggers and that kind of thing which is that i think as i've got older i've just really reflected on how strange a concept it is to just kind of know so much about somebody's life and be kind of kept up to date with it every week and yeah i think it's really interesting and yet to... not meet them ever yes. exactly <laughs> exactly it's it's really it's i don't know i think there's a real yeah, it's psychological thing to do with, yeah, having this, this weird, odd kind of allure around just really normal people living normal lives. And I'm thinking also about like study tubes, study tubes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've had some of those on my podcast. Oh, yeah. really? Amazing. I had Jack Edwards and V. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think especially when I was a bit younger and doing my A-levels and my GCSEs, I would watch those and it was kind of a weird I don't know, form of like motivating myself because I'd feel really bad if I wasn't as working as hard as I could see other people, which is probably unhealthy. But it just kind of feeds into our broader, our broader culture of just wanting to know everything about somebody's life. And you have that thing of like somebody who's well known, becomes well known through these platforms and you end up like following them on YouTube and Instagram or Twitter. And it becomes this like huge really relentless insight into everything about them and you know their boyfriend and their clothes and what they're eating and I don't know it's just I think for me personally it's made me realize that I I am really kind of sucked into that because I am quite nosy um, but I do definitely see the appeal of yeah watching YouTube and I don't know feeling like you have a personal connection with someone that you've never met it's just a really odd concept to me it is weird, isn't it? As you're explaining it, I'm thinking if we'd known this sort of 20 odd years ago, yeah. that that's what we would spend our time doing, watching people's real lives. I it's... did a really weird thing in lockdown when I realised that summer term last year was was online, not cancelled, and we wouldn't be able to go back. So everything was online. I started watching Cambridge vloggers <laughs> so that I could, I think it so was like reconnect a, with exactly Cambridge. a weird kind of way of imagining that I was in the place I wasn't. It was really oh. bizarre. 
Oh, it's been so brilliant speaking to you, Amica. Thank you so much. I want to encourage everyone to go and pick up Amica's book, Make It Happen, How to Be an Activist, which is out now. And I really hope that when lockdown lifts, we're going to see, you know, you out and about promoting it, because I think that would be fantastic. Hopefully, you know, by the summer, we'll be able to do that. Obviously, you have to get your finals out the yeah. way first so good luck with those thank you and they're not they're starting quite soon are they is it may did you say yeah may or, yeah. i've got to hand in my dissertation sooner than that but um, my actual exams are in may and june yeah well i won't keep you from your dissertation <laughs> <laughs> much longer but thanks so much it's been absolutely brilliant i've loved it me too thank you so much thank you for listening to this episode of it's complicated If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Lost everything you try to see Cause we've all been swept away, Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.